This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. What a treat to be in the studio today with two great Bloomington veterans of the arts, of radio, of poetry, of history. First, Antonia Stedman Matthew. Antonia, welcome to Big Talk. Thank you, Michael. Next to her in the studio, Richard fish. Richard! (laughs) Hi. Hi, Michael. It's great to be here. Now, Antonia is a poet, has been a puppeteer, is now a playwright. She has written a play, and I cannot wait to hear this, and I'm going to be able to hear it, Sunday, October 9th, 2022, on Richard Fish's Firehouse Theater program, Richard Fish helped produce this play. It's called Antonia's Home Front. Close to 80 years ago, World War II ended. The vast majority of us who are alive now cannot imagine what the people of Great Britain went through during World War II. You know, the Luftwaffe, Germany, they were bombing cities and towns. 60,000 people were killed. 81,000 wounded. There was a blackout for the duration. There was rationing of meat and cheese and sugar. Children and the elderly were shipped out of town in London and other cities. Something that we Americans can hardly imagine. Antonia lived through that, as did her father, and therein lies the reason for Antonia's home front. Your father was where during World War II, Antonia? He was in Burma. What did he do that caused you to write this play? He wrote me these wonderful letters from Burma. How often would you get these letters? Well, that's hard to say because the mail was it was erratic. And so sometimes I wouldn't have a letter for, say, 10 days or a fortnight, and then suddenly maybe two or three would arrive together. How old were you about this time? Oh, let me think. Five, six. You had a a, a vague understanding of what was going on. Did you realize what a world-changing thing this World War II was? No, because that's the world I was born into and grew up in. It was normal. Yes, Richard, what brings you into this conversation? I had the luck to be involved in this play. Antonia wrote the script originally uh, four or five years ago. It's taken some time. And she sent it to the uh, Writers Guild at Bloomington. A good deal of credit here goes to Tony Brewer and Joan Hawkins of the uh, Writers Guild. And they, they immediately saw the value of this script which was a wonderful, wonderful piece of writing. They wanted to do something with it. Now, uh, in terms of how to do that, to put it on stage or or make a video or something like that was uh, very complex and beyond their resources. 
Tony and I have worked together for many years in audio theater. Yeah. And Tony brought brought the script to me and said, Richard, I think this would make a wonderful audio piece. And I looked at it, and I agreed. And, and uh, so we worked on the script, uh, just uh, reformatting it for radio, for audio theater, and putting in cues of sounds and music and so forth. And we did a live performance of this script four years ago over at the Monroe County Library Auditorium. That went pretty well. Mm-hmm. The, uh, there was a considerable audience, and they were very appreciative and enjoyed it very much. We had some pre-recorded sounds to put in. There was, however, one, I won't call it a problem, but one bit of a lack, because everyone in the script, all of the people in the script, are British, uh-huh. And all of our actors were American. <laughs> now, I, I, in that case, I read the recorder's part, which is a narrative. And I did it, you see, in my version of what is called the British Received Pronunciation. <laughs> now, now, I have to ask Antonia, what did you think of that accent? It was, it was beautiful. It was very cultured and smooth and just the sort of way the recorder would have talked. But I think that... People who worked on on the BBC as official announcers uh-huh. used received pronunciation. Ah, uh, I've never been quite certain about received pronunciation. I'm never quite quite sure who is receiving what from who. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they sort of standardized it to be somewhat upper class. I think uh-huh. this is the British Broadcasting Corporation, uh-huh. and now the news, that sort of thing. John <laughs> yes, Snag. Yes, yes. Now, they're trying to put this on as a play back in 2019, the Writers Guild at Bloomington, Richard and Tony Brewer, Antonia Matthew. When you were writing this, how did you envision it? I don't know, Michael. It's hard to explain. It began with the letters. Somebody said, you should do something with your father's letters. And so I began to put in some background, and then it started to grow. And I put in, I included the war in in England while hearing about the war in Burma. I'd heard it read, you know, before. We'd had a a, a reading um, in in my house. so I, I knew people could listen to it, but I didn't go any further than that. Did your father try to convey any sense of optimism, of something on the order of, don't worry, little Antonia, I'll be home soon, or don't worry, I'm not going to die? He talked a lot about, when I get home, we'll do this and that. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of my favorite ones is that um, I wrote to him, because I... I was old enough to write letters, and I wrote to him that I'd fallen in the zoo pond, and he wrote back and said, when I come home, we'll fall in the pond together. Now I want to know, what did you use to write the letters? Was it a fountain pen? No, it was a pencil. I can imagine a big pencil in a stubby little hand. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So so he wasn't, he, he told me funny things. He talked about having frogs in his in his, you know, his sleeping bag, <laughs> goats sticking their heads through the tents, and he gave gave me an optimistic, you know, view of of 
of where they were and what they were doing. He certainly didn't share with you all the horrors and uglinesses of war. No, he didn't, but he did say, you, you will hear that war is a terrible thing, and that may lead you to think that soldiers are bad people. And ah. I want to tell you that soldiers are to be respected. So th- there were some adult comments that he put in there. And when I re- reread the letters, um, they were interesting to me as, a, as an adult. Yeah. Well, you did a lot of research on his unit and his the Gloucesters and and the battles and uh, the and campaign that they were in because that's in the play. Yes. Now they were the Gloucesters. The 10th Gloucestershire Regiment is from Gloucestershire in England. Uh Uh-huh. Their headquarters would have been in Gloucester, the Uh city of Gloucester. Now, Antonia, you grew up in Bristol, England. Bristol, as far as I know, is sort of an industrial town? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And whereabouts is it in relation to London? If you got on a train to go from London to Bristol, it would take you about two and a half hours. But it's southern England... Yes. And still within the range of the German Air Force at the time. Was the Luftwaffe ever flying over Bristol, in your recollection? Oh, yes. So they were dropping bombs. Oh, they were dropping bombs. We we had blackout, you know, you had to hang out the blackout. When the planes were coming over, the sirens would go off, and the people we were living with had a basement with bricked-in windows, so we didn't have to go to the public air raid shelter. We went down into the basement, and we stayed there till we heard the all clear. Now, a lot of people had to go into the subway. Yes, yes. The people tubes. Slept yes. The tubes. Again, here in America, we were isolated from the horrors of war because we had two huge oceans on either side of us. But everybody else went through hell. Did you understand it as hell at your age? I wouldn't have... No, I don't think so. It's hard because the grown-ups around me, we lived with, with another family. Uh-huh. Um, they, they were matter-of-fact and, and up, you know, upbeat about it. That you know, I can remember being carried on my mattress down into the basement because the sound had gone off. And... Um, the, the woman, um, one of the women in the house would say, you know what's happening? The fairies are moving house. <laughs> and, and so when we would hear the bangs, we would think, well, what piece of furniture is that? Is that the grand piano or is that the table? Or So they, they were cheerful and they, they weren't scarifying. They, 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 they were calm. Yeah, yeah. Keep calm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Now, were there other kids hanging around? There was one other kid. He he was the son of the people whose house we were in. He was older than me. He was probably eight or nine. Oh, so you didn't have this horrible dread or panic that m- many people might have expected a kid to have. No, you know, I I didn't. And I think it was because the adults were just so s- straightforward about it. I mean, I don't carry with me any kind of trauma or nightmares or bad memories. I think that probably the worst memory was we were next to a zoo, and when the sirens went off, 
the peacocks would scream. That was the most eerie sound you ever heard. They may be pretty birds, but they're not musical. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're not. Do you have a recollection at that time of your father? Had you known him? Was he in your memory? Or was he just the guy who wrote letters? No, he was in my memory. Before he left to go go abroad, I, I must have been about four. Okay. We, we went down to the south coast, all the families did, to see their soldiers before they went abroad. Uh-huh. So I can remember the time we spent, I can remember the village, I can remember the time we spent, I can remember going for a picnic um, by the, well, on the cliffs above the beach, him holding my hands and talking to me, and so I, I have this memory of him, of, of being fun and, and kind and loving. Now, your mother was with you? Yes. Through this ordeal? Yes. She was calm as well? Not so. Ah. <laughs> not not so. She was a little more tight, highly strung. Uh-huh. So, so it was these these other people who were the centers of calmness. Yes, yes. I mean, she did she did her best because everybody else in the house, nobody else had somebody out fighting. Oh. So not only did she have the anxiety about the bombing, but she had the anxiety of what was happening to Anthony. Yeah. So I I don't blame her for being kind of nervous. Um, I think she did her best, given her circumstances. Now, I'm not going to telegraph any endings here, am I, if I ask, your father came home? No, he didn't. That's Horrible. one of the points of the play. Yeah. Uh, well, it's when I say play, uh, you have to keep in mind, this is a true story. Yeah. This is not a fiction fictionalized play. This is a true story. And the truth is that Major Stedman was killed in action. And it's part of the value of the play is the way this reacted on people at home, on on Antonia herself, and how that the loss of her father has resonated down through the years to this very day. Terrible things that happen in war don't stop being terrible when the war ends. There is repercussions down the years and that's part of the value of this production is it shows that and and Antonio was very honest and very soul-searching about what she wrote it's a wonderful wonderful piece of writing as a writer and and the writers guild agrees this is beautifully written so it has value as a as a production because it's so wonderfully written. And as you know, everything starts with the script. Yeah. Whatever production you're doing, the best production in the world will not save a bad script. Right. You have to start with good writing, and we certainly did. Well, Antonia Stedman Matthew, who is one of our two guests this week, along with Richard Fish, who you've just heard, Antonia has been a poet for a long time. She's had poetry published in poetry magazines, and as a matter of fact, uh, she was key in uh, the group called Five Women Poets, which was a group of, I think it's self-explanatory, Five Women Poets. And then Antonia wrote this audio play 
We're calling it an audio play, right? Richard? Yes, the uh, radio theater is is the term most people know, but I think it's better to call it audio theater these days because it's not just for radio. There are other media. And Richard Fish needs no introduction, but guess what? I'm going to give one <laughs> once again. He's a radio veteran. He's a voice actor. He's an audio theater empresario. How about that? Huh? That's a good Oy one. Vey. <laughs> Richard Fish turned to radio uh, back when he was a kid. He listened to a bunch of crazy guys by the name of the Firesign Theater. They inspired him to get into radio. And to come to Bloomington, actually. And when I first heard them, I was uh, attending the University of Virginia over in Charlottesville. Uh And I heard their first album. And that made me realize I wanted to get into this field. Now, as it happens, the University of Virginia had no degree program in this. So I had to transfer somewhere. And I ended up coming to Indiana University. As you said, I'm an East Coast kid, grew up in New Jersey, and you know what the people on the coasts think of the Midwest. And you go I, over it. Yeah, exactly. And I was so amazed when I got to Bloomington. I loved it and never left. Now, Richard Fish finished up the production of Antonia Stedman Matthews' audio theater play, Antonia's Home Front. That's going to air this coming Sunday, October 9th, 2022, on Richard's Firehouse Theater program. That's at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Right. The program is from 8 to 10, and the uh, play will start a few minutes after 8, after our opening announcements and so on and so forth. And I will have to do one brief interruption uh, at the top of the hour. Now, I understand that the voice tracks had been recorded by a a United Kingdom audio theater producer named John Fryer. John Fryer, wonderful man. I had met him some years ago at the Radio Theater Workshop or the uh, Audio Theater Producers Festival out in Kansas City. When we uh, finished our our live performance four years ago, I, I said, boy, this, is, this would be wonderful if we could just get British voices in it. So I got hold of John. I, I emailed him, and he, w- and he loved the script, too, and volunteered to have his actors in his troupe record the voice tracks, record wow. all the lines. When they came in to do one of his productions, they would record for that, and then he would hand them a couple of pages. Would you please read, you know, the recorder or the, the, uh, the this soldier or whatever, the father's part or whatever it was. And boy, he did a fabulous job. The man is a brilliant writer and director on his own, and he has some wonderful talent. So he started sending me the voice tracks. Well, this got interrupted by COVID for two years because he couldn't have people in and they were all locked down and everything. And uh, finally, uh, earlier this year, he started finishing up the getting the recordings done. So he sent me all the different voices. You know, I would get a recording of Antonia's mother doing all of her lines. Boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Then I would edit them, and I would edit them, and then I started putting in tracks of sounds and um, some music and so on to fill it out. That was a very interesting process because I wanted to make sure that the sounds we used were correct for both the place 
and the period. For instance, when Major Stedman is writing a letter to Antonia, he's in Burma. So what do you hear? You hear a jungle. I found recordings of jungles that had been recorded in Myanmar, as it is today, Burma. Right, because different animals, different birds live in different jungles. Exactly. And same way with the English backgrounds, if if we're hearing uh, the child Antonia writing back to him, we have English backgrounds with English birds. Uh I didn't want people to catch us out. I went and found the the sounds of the actual weapons that were used by uh, at the time, uh, British Sten guns and uh, Japanese machine guns and so forth, the actual rifles, the British Enfield and so on, and was careful to put those in. If you hear a plane fly over, it will be a spitfire. But I was very careful about this because if someone who was there uh, were to hear it, I didn't want them to say, ah, wait a minute, that's not what it sounded like. (laughs) I would like us to say more about the English actors because they were just amazing. They were indeed. John Fryer is a brilliant uh, writer and producer and director over there. And the troupe he has of actors are just wonderful. They all hit the mark exactly. They felt the characters of the people in a way that I don't think would be very easy for Americans to do. They got it right on. When I got the voice tracks in, sometimes there were extra takes, but a lot of times there was only one take, and it was perfect every time. It was just spot on. It was so wonderful to work with them. This fellow, Richard Fish, took this project quite seriously. Yes, indeed. I'm... I'm amazed and hugely grateful. I think what Richard has done to the play is to add it to it and transform it in a way so that everything that Richard did is added to the play. I, I just I just love it. So you've heard the whole thing? Yes. You're happy? Yes, I'm very happy. R- Richard was kept us all up to date. He would send us um, through, through the computer the, the, you know, the, the most recent recording that he had done. Did, did we like it? Did, did we like the sounds? Um, he, he had to shorten it in some places. Yeah. Had, had he taken out something that the really should have been left in? So for about a month, almost every day, I was listening to the play, and it was, it was really hard. This is the audio play, Antonia's Home Front. It will be aired for the first time on radio, on Richard Fish's Firehouse Theater program this coming Sunday, October 9th at 8 p.m. Antonia, when you first heard it, or the process of hearing it, did it open up a whole barrel of memories for you? Yes, yes it did. Did you cry? Did you laugh? Did I, you? I, I'd cry, yes. So it, it was a difficult month, getting, get, you know, Version of diversion and um, and, and crying with each version. <laughs> oh. I, I will I will explain that the uh, we did did the whole thing and it came out to about an hour and fifteen minutes, and then we looked at possible distribution and uh, realized that for most radio stations that's an awkward length. Yes. and most radio stations would rather have something that would fit in a one hour slot, which is a fifty seven minute. length. So I did create a 57-minute version, which involved cutting out a certain amount of 
of, of things, that was a challenge. But I think it worked worked it did. It did. quite well. It, it we did managed to we managed to get that done. The uh, play is being distributed in the United Kingdom. John Fryer, his company is called Political Art, yes. is sending it out with his regular distributions. We have also offered it to the British Broadcasting Corporation. We haven't heard back from them yet, but I don't think that's a problem because they have undoubtedly been distracted lately by the death of Queen Elizabeth and the accession of King Charles. Right. Uh, but we hope they will like it. And here in the United States, this coming uh, Sunday will be the radio premiere, and we're going to put it up on the public radio exchange and offer it to national public radio and offer it to stations, uh, and hopefully it will get some other distribution. Now, Antonia, not to take away from the fact that it's going to be on the radio waves, will we ever see it in print? I don't think so. I, I the, the, the script is, in a sense, bare bones, and I think it comes alive when it's it, it's on the radio with 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 the sounds that, that Richard has put in the the audio sounds the extra. Your preference is that we hear it yes. rather than read it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sounds good to me, and that plays right into the talents of the man sitting next to you, <laughs> Richard yes, Fish. Yes. I love doing this. I must say, this was a great, this was great fun to to do. It was, it was, I mean, it's a serious piece, but the process of doing it was fascinating. And we didn't have a deadline. This wasn't something where I was up against. Let's get it done by Tuesday, you know. Right. So I was able to take the time to adjust things and, and, and make them right and uh, listen to it and that's not quite right. Let's change this and, you know, polish it up. Uh, again, uh, I emphasize again how much the script means. This is, the script was so good that it was worth all the effort. And, and the fact that it's a true story, I think it's educational for people who don't have a memory of the period, they're going to learn some things and some things that will surprise them. And I think it's a piece of history. It has captured a kind of history that hasn't been done nearly as much as memoirs of the field marshals and the admirals and so on and so <laughs> yeah. forth. You know. It's the ordinary people who had to go through the experience. And when I say ordinary, I also include extraordinary. But this is what was happening to these people, and they didn't have any way to control what was happening. They just had to find a way to endure it and get through it, as, as you were saying before, Antonia, and that's, that's what they did. The letters of Major Stedman to his daughter, Antonia Stedman, now Antonia Stedman Matthew, have inspired this fabulous audio theater presentation, this radio play, Antonia's Homefront. You'll be able to hear it for the first time in America here on WFHB Richard Fish's Firehouse Theater Program, Sunday, October 9th at 8 p.m. Antonia Stedman Matthew and Richard Fish, thank you both for being on Big Talk. 
Thanks very much, Michael, for having us. Thank you, Mike. I've enjoyed being here with you and Richard.